What's up, you wonderful home growers? I'm Chronic from the Cannabis Chronicles on Instagram and YouTube, as well as the host of this amazing podcast brought to us by Homegrown Cannabis Co. Be sure to check out www.homegrowncannabisco.com for all your top-notch cannabis seed needs. And this very special episode of the Homegrown Podcast, I'll be interviewing the one and only the man, the myth, the legend himself, the creator of the notorious chiropractics techniques for cannabis, coining strawberry cough as a staple strain amongst recreational and medicinal users, a 20-year veteran of High Times Magazine as a writer and formal cultivation reporter, give a big welcome to Kyle Cushman. Welcome to the show and thank you both so much for coming on to talk about the all things cannabis related. Not only do we have Kyle Cushman here, but we have the notorious Nate Hammer, who is a part of the Growing Live series and we welcome you both. So feel free to say hi to the listeners and let us know a little bit about yourselves. Take it away. I'm sure everybody's here to see you. No, go ahead. We, 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 the listeners know a lot about me. We don't know anything about you. Okay. Why, why are you here? Well, I'm here to, um, to, to record this podcast, if I'm being honest, <laughs> and, uh, and to, to be a guest on Derek's uh, show as part of Homegrown Cannabis Co. Uh, I must say today's location is fantastic. Uh, Cushman's hooked us up today in, uh, in a very nice, luxurious part of Los Angeles, uh, which is very different to my hometown. My name's Nate Hammer. Uh, I stand in Kyle's shadow. I'm on a podcast, and I'm from the United Kingdom. Tell us a little bit about you, Kyle. <laughs> well, um, I just want to say that Nate is very integral because <laughs> if he wasn't so chipper all the time, I'd probably be way more dour than I already am. So we, we do a lot of work together and he's the cre creative, uh, certainly the creative inspiration behind all of the yucks you guys get, all the laughs you guys get from all the videos that we make. And uh, I don't know if it was his growing experience or not that got him the gig. I think probably more of his, his camera experience. But, <laughs> Judging by my growing experience and but, knowledge. <laughs> but nonetheless, you know, we're all learning to grow together and that's, that's cool. So we, you know, we, uh, we, we learn off of each other. And, uh, and me, I just been bouncing around uh, this cannabis community for 30 plus years. And uh, actually the shirt I'm wearing is probably 20 plus years old. It's almost as old as me. This is supposed to, this symbol is supposed to mean peace, but I've never looked it up. So hopefully it's, it's proper. This one means peace. Peace, right. And, uh, you know, just, I'm just privileged to be able to talk with people like yourself and all the people that listen to you and follow you. Um, I suppose my biggest uh, priority in my public life has always been and still will is to spread the good word of home growing. You know, um, Absolutely. Uh, I say a lot, you know, it's, it's certainly a lot easier and more advisable if you don't have to worry about breaking the law, but I'm not one to stand up and say, you know, I never did that. Um, I'm just here to advise people not to do that. But um, yeah, so I'm at your disposal, you know, and I'm at the, the cannabis community's disposal to, uh, to help in any way I can. I'm learning something right now. And if I'd have known that Kyle was anything but a saint, and apparently he's broken the law a couple of times, I never would have hung out with him in the first place. Kyle, why have you waited three years to tell me this? <laughs> man, there's- he's just there, learning now. <laughs> there, there, there's some stories, man. Upstate New York, uh, 
NorCal, you know, I've had, I've had my dings, but I've always come out squeaky clean somehow. That's good. That's what matters, right? <laughs> yes. That's a, it's the best way to be a criminal is, you know, to come out un- uncriminal. <laughs> <laughs> uncriminal. I guess that's a good, good way to put it. <laughs> All right. Well, that leads us into a great segment into this episode. And today we're actually going to be diving into some really fun topics for these listeners. And as Kyle and Nate have joined us to talk about the different stages of growing cannabis, we're also going to be diving into some really fun topics as well. Um, Homegrown Cannabis Co. recently launched our own homegrown diary for you cultivators to upload, record and share your homegrown Cannabis Co. gardens with ease. So be sure to check it out, www.homegrowndiary.com. Later on in this episode, Kyle and Nate will be breaking down some of the uploaded diaries of our fellow cultivators from Homegrown Cannabis Co. community that we have uploaded. So this leads me into my first question for you, Kyle. What are some tips that you have for cultivators out there to maybe help them have a more successful germination rate with Homegrown Cannabis Co. seeds using the wet paper towel method? such as maybe adding some hydrogen peroxide to the water or using a heat mat. Any suggestions you have? Um, so a heat mat can be appropriate. You got to be careful with it, right? Because you don't want to cook your seeds. You, yep. you want gentle warming. But in a cool environment in the winter in Colorado, that would certainly be appropriate. I would not try to germinate seeds without a heat mat. Um, I agree with that. <laughs> you know, um, It's just kind of hard to judge exactly when you set the thermostat. The thermostat is uh, actually they have uh, remote thermostats now. So you can place the thermostat actually underneath the paper towels on the plate. The little the little movable little uh, little probe. So it knows so it knows the temperature. Exactly. And uh, set the heating mat on like 68 to 70 degrees. You, okay. you don't want it above 70 degrees because above 70 degrees can uh, encourage anaerobic bacteria. But mm, the difference okay. between 55, which is usually what, if you leave water standing around or a wet paper towel, it's not going to go above 55. So the difference between 55 or 50 and 65 is a big difference. It's a big factor. So it may not seem warm, but it's not cold. That's uh, that's actually great advice because I know a lot of novices. When I first started myself and I was uh, joining communities and learning from people, people had said, you know, soil likes to be eighty degrees, so maybe put it up to eighty degrees. And I was always here with heat mats, but you know, using them early on, I noticed that I got better results when I was keeping around that 69, 70 degree marker versus that eighty degree marker. Sure, and you might even want to double check. You know, some of them are more accurate than others. You know, put an actual uh, uh, analog thermometer yeah. there. Don't just set it and forget it. And that's why I always err on the side of caution because, like I said, uh, anywhere over 60 is a lot warmer than 55 or 52. It's exponentially warmer. Yeah, it makes all the difference. Just those smaller degrees actually make the, the, the biggest difference. Certainly. Yeah. yeah. I, um, I'm glad you didn't ask me that question because I usually just pop the seed under my lip, leave it there for three days, wait for it to sprout. I've seen him do it. He's like, he's like, Kyle, look, is it ready to plant yet? He's got 10 of them in a row. Hey, I will, I will add though, um, as um, a disclaimer for homegrown, the only way you will guarantee your germination is if you use the method that is provided on the website. So if thermostat uh, uh, heat mats and stuff are not provided there, 
that might that might cancel out your germination. I don't know, but no, I don't know. No, no, no. Actually, it does not because uh, you have to remember that. Uh, so what you're saying is you're guaranteeing people that regardless they're in only Alaska, if they use our method. Yeah, but they're in Alaska and their house only gets up to 45 degrees and they put the seeds in and some of them may not sprout at 45 well, yeah, degrees. It says, it says the appropriate uh, temperature for the water in the, um, in the germination guide, which means, you know, if you need to aid that to make that water. That's what I'm getting. Yeah, at, I understand. See? I'm just making sure. So if you're being you know, reasonable. Yeah. I guess, I guess the best thing would be if you were going to use a seed mat, just make sure to document everything and take pictures so that, you know, you can show proof. If you live in a cold country, move to a warmer country and then your seeds will be <laughs> Perfect, easy. <laughs> I endorse that. So now that we have some tips uh, for high germination rates, you know, to figure it out, um, let's uh, go ahead and break into a question that's gonna be a little fun for both of you. Um, we're gonna start with Nate to answer the first part of this and Kyle, Ooh. you get to follow him up. So Nate, when you first started learning to cultivate cannabis and breaking into the community in general, were there times that you were unsure of when to plant your seedling or even how to go about germinating your seedling at all? Um, well, first of all, I'm still learning <laughs> uh, cannabis cultivation. <laughs> I've got to put that one out there. Um, second of all, um, well, no, I've, I, I eyeball uh, the tap root. I, I mean, I learned the germination method from homegrown. Um, and then I kind of eyeball the, the tap root, get it in the soil and, you know, veg it out. And when it gets to a certain height, uh, a teen height, that's when I would uh, I would go ahead and transplant. And um, I mean, if you're talking about those worrisome um, uh, feelings that you get, like, am I doing it right? Yeah, I got those, but I've had, you know, quite a good success rate. I, I, was, I started off as an outdoor grower up in um, San Luis Obispo County, uh, greenhouse and full sun. See, and that's the thing is, see, um, growing outdoors when you're not controlling the environment and you're not controlling the phone. It's a lot easier. It's not that it's easier. It's, it, 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 it's a different learning curve. It really is. It's, it's a basis for everything you might need to know when you do need to control those other things. Right. Um, because without knowing how they affect the plant, which now when you grow outdoors, you simply get to observe. Right. So it's, it's a, a good, cold day. It's, it's a rainy day. For, for it's a hot day. You get to just observe. You, there's nothing yeah. you can do about yeah, it. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I've cooked um, I've cooked 600 plants before by- um, Tarping it? Yeah, by topping it, by pulling in the top. And it's 100, 100 plus degrees in there. Every plant died. Uh, that was a oh, terrible run. No. Yeah, rest in peace. <laughs> yeah, those poor plants. <laughs> but you know, it's like, you'll, you'll never do that again. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. And if I do, um, <laughs> what am I doing here? <laughs> right. Sometimes hard lessons are important and you just got to be thankful that, you know, I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes hard lessons are important. Mm -hmm. They are. They're, they're, they're there. Mistakes, I feel like, are there to allow us to never make them again or learn from them so that we can better our journey as cultivators. Got to go through some pretty awful mistakes. And I'm just glad that Cushman isn't like Gordon Ramsay. Can you imagine that? <laughs> you know, when I started, not only did I not have YouTube or the internet or anything like that, I didn't even have nutrients. I mean, I went to the farm ag store and bought stuff that they used for roses. And, you know, there was, you know, I had, I, I, I it was very self-reliant, let's just say, you know, 
I mean, I remember just starting with a sack of high phosphorus bat guano and a sack of high nitrogen bird guano okay. and soaking it in water in a, in a, in a tea bag that I'd made from uh, the corner of a pillowcase. Essentially two okay. sacks of shit. So like, so like an early form of compost, basically. Right. And, and, you know, as soon as you put it in the water, you can see it leaching out the color. You know, and I experimented with how many days I would leach it. And then I experimented with how many cups per gallon of the actual brew, because I would aerate it as well, you know, okay. and, and, you know, and, and it, it was all very self-reliant. So outdoors is, is, um, is a luxury, actually. You know, if you think about it, right? Indoors, you have to give up part of your home yeah. or you have to build something, you know? If you're growing outdoors, it's because you've got extra land, <laughs> or you got, you know, you got a space to that's do why this. I said, that's you're why not I using it, was, it as your kitchen. That's why I said it was easier because in a lot of ways it is. It's know. less maintenance. I, well, I, yeah. I don't say what less maintenance, but I feel like it's less invasive in your everyday life. I would say, yeah, because mine, I live in tent city. I have to say, I do have a four by eight in my living room. So it is uh, taking up quite a bit of tent space. Tent city so yeah, means something else over here in LA. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I say, I, do you need to borrow some money, Derek? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I think I am good on that one. I appreciate that. <laughs> no, but uh, actually my next question is for Kyle. Now that we've kind of... Um, glazed over that good information with Nate. Um, Kyle, when you first uh, took Nate on as your growing apprentice, what were his strengths that you saw in the beginning with him? Um, and what were some of his weaknesses and what, what are some things he may need to work on or that he's really kind of growing into that you uh, didn't expect him to kind of take hold so fast? Well, at first, when I told him to bend over, he put up a, a, a bit of a struggle. <laughs> and now... He just like, you know, I, whatever I tell him to do, he this does This is it. all satire, okay? <laughs> Love it. Um, you know, look, honestly, like I said, um, Nate and I collaborate uh, a lot on um, uh, video. And we spend a lot of time, Nate spends a lot of time coming up with the ideas for how they're going to look good and not just look like a static person it's only in the last uh six months that we well no we we did we dabbled a little bit we had to set up these grow tents in a house and the, do this. the narrative of what happened here is originally i was um the filmmaker but we decided as you know at the homegrown cannabis co and we were an educational uh, medium why not have nate as kyle's apprentice because he's always learning anyway you know whilst he's filming kyle so that's kind of how it's how it was established originally so if I got to be honest, he's a pretty rudimentary grower, but he's a really excellent um, partner in, you know, in all these, these endeavors we got to do, you know, like we go, we go out on the road, you know, he goes and fetches me dinner. He does whatever I need him to do. You know? I'm just kidding. Rudimentary grower. <laughs> <laughs> but he's never going to improve. <laughs> um, but that's why the, the, the San Diego project is really, really, really key and really, really cool. Um, they're building it from the ground up and, uh, that project will really bring together a lot of, uh, all the things that we've been talking about and just putting on video yeah. and segmenting. We're actually going to go through all these things over this summer. Yeah, that's a, that's a great thing that we've got there, Derek, as you know about it. We've built a greenhouse. We've documented it. So we're going to teach people how to build a greenhouse for one uh, with the uh, expertise of Eric Brandstad, who's a greenhouse expert. Kyle's always going to be coming to visit to 
do lessons and stuff. Uh, it's all that free education again from Homegrown. Yeah, we're really excited to see that. I know I've lo- I've absolutely loved seeing the greenhouse garden videos you guys have done so far. Um, it's been really cool seeing the build. I've never personally built a greenhouse, but I've always been intrigued by the mechanics and the airflow and structure and you know how you're supposed to set them and face them. So it's, it's very, very cool watching. And I'm excited to watch the uh, videos actually put together and everything. It's something I've always wanted to do with my 15 by 15 backyard. <laughs> to do it? <laughs> I get no sun. I got these tall, I got these 150 foot tall ponderosa pines all around the house. I get no direct sun. That's no good for sunlight. It's good for staying cool in the summer though. Have you thought about moving somewhere that does have more sun? <laughs> that's my answer to everything. I know, right? Just move. <laughs> See, that's what he does. He abandons his country and comes here. He's like, that one doesn't work anymore. <laughs> now this one's on the skids. I wonder where he's going to go next. <laughs> I'm here. That's too funny. So, you know, now that we're talking about a little bit of greenhouse and kind of, Nate, you're getting your hands dirty um, once it's kind of built and you're actually going to get hands-on experience with these plants. I was kind of transition into the vegetative stage and something that we can talk about for cultivators that is always kind of a massive learning curve and it's a massive learning curve for me with every new strain that i grow because every plant consumes nutrients differently so what are your tips kyle for a novice grower who is swapping their plant over from the seedling stage transplanting into maybe a three or five gallon home and they want to up the nutrients what's your recommendations for slowly dialing in that proper feeding so they'll burn their plants um that's a good question and i got some good advice um so you're right. It, it, in, one, in one sense, it's not a very delicate thing because plants and veg are very hardy. Yeah. They, they want to grow. They're not producing hundreds of compounds and complex molecules, you know, all the different cannabinoids and such. It's really just building starch and fiber, cellulose, and, and it's, so although there, there may, I don't think that the differences in feeding is, it comes out in, in the vegetative stage nearly as much as in the flowering stage. And you can push them way more because you burn a little bit of a leaf in another week, there's going to be another leaf replacing that leaf. It's not like that once you start flowering, you develop a bud, you can't scorch that bud and go, oh, well, another one's going to grow up here. It will, but you get what I'm saying? So the vegetative stage is a good time to push it, you know, and what you'll see is you'll see burnt tips, you know, everybody knows you give more nitrogen than anything else during the veg stage, but I'm going to give you uh, an actual tangible formula that you can utilize. And basically this just comes from studying uh, lots of NPK ratios on plant foods, you know? And um, what you'll see is that vegetative plant food is generally two times the nitrogen to that of phosphorus, the N to the P. Okay. So if you, if you've got a, if you've got a 10 or a 10 of nitrogen, you're going to have a 5 phosphorus. If you've got a 30 nitrogen, you're going to have a 15 phosphorus. And then more, being more specific for cannabis, your K, your NPK, your potassium, 
should always be about at least one half to two thirds of the lead nutrient. So in veg, it's nitrogen. So if you're feeding, because the ratio of nitrogen to phosphorus to potassium is actually more important than the actual number itself. And that's why people can grow with, uh, you know, 30, 15, 10, and get the same thing as if you grow with 130, 15. Because it's the ratio. Now, plants, you, you can burn certain plants with higher amounts, but it's the ratio that's really important. So in veg, you want to keep that ratio. So if you want to feed more, you don't want to just pour some nitrogen in. You want to up the balanced fertilizer. You know what I'm saying? So if you're on a grow, bloom, boot, if you're in a three part, you have to yeah. up all three parts. Okay. If you're on a two part, you up both parts in okay. symbiosis, you know? So you use the feed chart. And if the feed chart, generally there's a, a low, a medium and a high feed rate. That's what you want to follow, you know? Okay. Always start at the low, quickly move up to the medium if they're happy. And in veg, move on up to that aggressive feeding as long as they're thriving, as long as the leaves stay at an upward like this and they don't start to give you that curl or say an uncle, like, please don't feed me anymore. Yeah. You know, go a couple of feedings at one level and then up it. Okay. So just, uh, just let them pretty much play with the nutrients to where they're kind of pushing the bounds and veg and, you know, doing all that damage and veg so that they don't have to do this in, you know, flowering so they're not messing their plants up in flower. So to yes, yeah, so to speak, because, you know, you really do want to, in order to maximize, you do want to give the plant as much food as it can take and no more. And the only way to find that out is to push it to the edge and get those little burnt tips, those green, I call them greenhouse burn, you know? Yeah. And the really I usually back off when I see those. I'll give like a, a normal water feeding with some molasses or something just to kind of like chill the soil or the medium out. Exactly. And the reason why they call that greenhouse burn is because when they do um, mass production of thousands of plants for like uh, sitting outside in front of the, the, the grocery store to sell flowers or for, yeah. to a greenhouse, before they send them out, they want them pumped up with nutrients because basically all they're going to get is plain water with a sprayer from the worker once a day. So that's what um, they do. And that's so that's how you know that you've reached the level of saturation of NPK for that plant, you know, for that strain. As you, and that's how you know. It's so that the ratio is not gonna change from strain to strain. What's gonna change is the strength at which you can feed. Mm -hmm. Okay. A heavy, hardier feeder may take um, 15 to 1800 parts per million of 15, 10, 10, yeah. where a light feeder like uh, Jack Herrera might yeah. might only take, um, how did, I forgot what, what scale I was using. <laughs> yeah, like, like they might be happier with more like a thousand parts per million. Yeah, that's what my Jack But Herrera it's the same taking. ratio. And, and so if you're playing with nutrients, you gotta be mindful of that ratio. And unless you see a deficiency that says, oh, I'm nitrogen deficient, you don't want to just add just nitrogen. Right.
Uh, makes that's that's amazing information. Uh, thank you for sharing that, and that really does uh, bring us into that this next segment. And I'm sure all the people listening um, really enjoyed that. I know I did. Uh, it helped clear up some things for me because I've always very much been curious on the ratios and you know why some were higher ratios than others and heavier feeds, but you know those lower ratios would act the same way, and it was like they were more concentrated. So it definitely makes sense, and it's starting to make a lot more sense rounding that knowledge off for me. So I hope the viewers or the listeners are enjoying as well. So this next question I have for you is actually a pretty uh, uh, interesting one as, you know, it may not affect all growers, but it's a two-part question. First part for Nate and second part for Kyle. So the first part is going to be- Pause for me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So this first part for you, Nate, it's going to be a question on pot size and that is for both of you. But I was wondering if you experienced um, yourself when you're looking at a garden, even if you haven't really transplanted too many plants yourself yet, uh, when you're looking at a garden, have you understood when to transplant? Are you uh, pretty fond of uh, the heights and the fan leaf length and, you know, when to transplant your, your ladies or- is it still kind of a novice thing, kind of figuring out when to ready your girls for your flower? So uh, pot size, you say. Um, well, um, I've only ever grown outdoors in huge, like huge uh, pots. So I'd uh, veg my plants out to um, two feet, probably um, 48 oh. inches. Is that two okay. feet? Yeah, well, just yeah. a little test on my math, and then I'd get them into <laughs> I'd get them into hundred gallon smart pots. Um, oh, so wow. they're they're okay. absolutely ginormous uh, by the end of it. A little bit bigger margin of error. There, yeah, yeah, margin of massive error. margin of error for that for sure. <laughs> exactly. So, like I say, my uh, f- f- my growing knowledge and all of that it really is um, uh, <laughs> rudimentary. <laughs> I think I've got a really good uh, tangible mathematical equation for you in this too. So I. Most of the people we're talking to are going to be growing indoors. Yes. Most of them, in fact, are going to be growing probably in a tent. Yeah. If you're lucky enough to be able to dedicate a whole bedroom or a closet, um, or you're going to build something and it's going to be relatively short. And that's where the nerves come in as to how big can I grow the plant? Right. So basically the rule of thumb is, um, now this is for regulars, okay? I can't say this for autos. Yes. Regular plants will double to triple in size from the time you flip them to flowering, depending on the strain. So if you've got a eight foot 10, and then the highest you can put the light puts it two feet below that, so you've got, and then one foot away from the light is five foot, that's the max height that your plant can be is five foot. Right. So you have to count for one foot of soil. So that's four foot of plant. So you have to flower that plant before it reaches two feet tall. That's uh, pretty mathematical. There you go. That, that's the difference here. You see, my answer is, well, I just give them as much room as they want to grow. And then <laughs> Kyle's got it all figured out. There you go. So yeah, see, cheers to that. We all need comic relief. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. No, that is that is honestly a great answer because, uh, you know, it is kind of that struggle for many new growers where they're like, hey, I don't think about that soil depth. I don't think about the light height because I know many new growers that I help um, on the homegrown form and things like that. Um, they'll come to me and they'll say, hey, is this plant outgrown my uh, tent? And it's like a haze strain and it's hugging the light. You know, it's completely curling over the light. And, I, you know, they only have a four foot tent or a five foot tent and they're running a carbon filter and it's on the inside of the tent. So it's just definitely great for you 
for everyone to hear that information. So I hope you cultivators listening definitely paid attention because Cushman is dropping some serious knowledge in this episode. Knowledge bombs. <laughs> so uh, now I... I do want to break into a little bit of, uh, I guess, groundbreaking knowledge, uh, so to speak. Well, don't ask me anything, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we'll we'll stay away from Nate Hammer for the groundbreaking. I'm just, I'm (laughs) sure. So, everybody, every cultivator loves when they get to flip to flower. Um, and oh, yeah, it's an exciting nice moment. It's very, very fun. And it is seriously one of those things that just brings a smile to your face. For those not uh, being able to view this, if you haven't watched this on YouTube or wherever this is going to be, I am sitting next to one of uh, Kyle Cushman's Skywalker OG, which if you don't know, you can grab one of his cultivars with character strains off of www.homegrowncannabisco.com and grow one of his amazing strains that he backs. And with that being said, I've got this girl here and she's starting to put on little pistols and little points showing her nodes. Now, I do have an auto flower running that my fiance is growing that has some beautiful trichomes, which leads me into my question for you, Kyle. How do you go about telling when your plant is ready to harvest based on your preferred trichome percentages? And would you let us know what your preferred trichome percentages are for your daytime smoke, your nighttime smoke, and maybe just a relaxing smoke? Um, I don't know. Uh, you're talking about um, the shades of trichomes, right? Yeah. Do you, are, well, first off, are you a grower that uses jeweler's loops or magnifying lens to check your trichomes? Okay. So I don't... I don't really, it doesn't extend into my preferred smoke for day or night though. Um, okay. I think it's because I've settled into a, uh, a balanced um, ripeness for, for all plants rather than okay. a, a separation. Um, You've kind of honed in your favorite like feeling and effects for the strains that you grow. Yeah, pretty much. So what what would your favorite trichomes be? What what what's your preferred color or clarity that you find yourself harvesting at? I find that um, if I'm not in a hurry, I will wait for ten percent amber trichomes. You know, um, yeah. it's it's it. It's, there's a tendency to, as soon as you start seeing the amber trichomes, like the first one, the second one, like, oh, there's, you know, I tend to, to, to uh, convince myself that I put that one there myself. Like I, <laughs> I, like I must have squeezed that bud last week, you know? Yeah. So I'll look elsewhere and I'll look elsewhere, um, you know, interior buds that, okay. you know, that obviously weren't rubbed against or anything like that. But so I think that, um, you know, it usually takes a good week for them to go from clear to milky, maybe even a couple of weeks between the time when they're clear and the stalk and the head is actually milky. And then it takes another week before they start to degrade. And yeah. I kind of visualize that in my head, like, you know, the last couple of weeks when you're watering and they're, they're not growing anymore. They're just swelling. Well, mm. I kind of envision those clear trichomes um, 
the juice inside is just kind of like, it's like a fruit. And it's, you know, if you pick a peach or an apple one week early, it's edible, but it doesn't make you go, mmm. And that's what I'm waiting for. I'm just waiting for a little bit of degradation to let me know that I'm over the top. I'm, I'm, I'm acquiescing. I'm down the backside of the hill. Okay. I, I, I get what you're saying. Now that, that makes a lot of sense because you want it that ripeness. Like if you were to bite into a piece of fruit, you want it to a nice sweet flavor, not the too sour, too tangy or underdone or something like that. Right. I don't want the tannins and the chlorophyll and the precursors. I want the, the mature Delta nine tetrahydrocannabinol ripened aged, you know, that's later. Yeah. No. So, you know, it, it's, you're not going to wait too long unless you really wait too long. And I don't expect anybody who's looking forward to harvest really has that much patience. So in your heart of hearts, I know that the best you're going to do is wait long enough. Yep. <laughs> I don't see many <laughs> people really going too long. You know, if you wake up one day and you've been miking the trikes every day, for the last week, you know, and all of a sudden you get down in there and you finally noticed, you know, oh, wow, I can actually see some amber trichomes. Oh, there's, a, you know, there's a few of them. There you go. But if you're looking all over for them and you're just, you know, no, but this is not quite ready. I don't know. Something tells me Derek is the type of person that waits that long. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. I get excited. Uh, but uh, no, that actually leads me into my next question about uh, harvesting. Uh, are you a three days of dark or two days of dark grower? Do you like putting your plants into the dark before harvesting? You know, um, I've played with it and I've come to the uh, assumption that it's not necessary or even a definite enhancement. Okay. I think that there are um, variables that I'm not familiar with. Gotcha. And so I use it when what I think it's really, really good for is if you've kind of overgrown your space a little bit and your flowers are a little bit closer to the light than you would like and or you don't have the ability to turn the wattage down because it's really important to mimic nature and nature, the light is not as bright. The sun is not as bright during the ripening season. And so if you can't mimic that either by dialing the wattage down or by increasing the distance between the light and the bud, then that's a good way to get around that is to give it okay. two or three full days of darkness and cold. Make sure they, they don't run dry. Um, Make sure that um, you don't necessarily want it to be nighttime cold okay. for 72 hours. Um, what you want to happen is you want the plant to try. The plant has um, an innate energy, believe it or not, and it does pr perform biological functions without the sun up. Yeah. And so just because it has a battery, it has a natural and it will wake up and it will consume water it, unless it's too cold. Oh, so so what what would be too cold in a grower standpoint that you would not prefer leaving 
the room is like 65 too cold or are you aiming at 68 well i would i would like to generally i um uh use appliances that give me complete control over day and night set point so before the lights would be going out you know three days before harvest i would have a 10 to 15 degree difference between my day and my nighttime. So if I'm going to go dark for three days, what I would do is I would set my timer. Uh, I, I, I would set my appliances so that it only goes super cold for 12 hours at a time and then let it come back up to room temperature, ambient temperature, whatever that is. So again, so that the roots don't predominantly continue to get colder and colder every night as the nights go. So by the time you're halfway through your your phase, your 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 site, your three nights of phasing, they're not doing any functions anyways because the, yeah. the roots have become so cool. Yeah, they're just locking out of all nutrients at that point. They're just locking out of anything. They're not going to uptake yeah. very, 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 very slowly. So at that point, you would have been better with the light being on mm -hmm. and giving you a little bit of warmth. Um, so it's all about um, mimicking nature, and nature doesn't go dark for three days. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, yes. So, and if it does, it's some sort of uh, yeah. apocalypse. apocalypse. <laughs> right? Or you're living in like Alaska and it's dark for like six months or something. <laughs> the only time it goes dark is once you chop the plant. Even in even in nature, sometimes you mimic nature with like greenhouse growing. You know, if you've got greenhouse, uh, if you've got your plants in your greenhouse, even then the light not might not be um, enough. So you have to supplement the sun with your own lights within your greenhouse. Not for harvest. Sense, yeah. yeah, right. Not for harvest, but I'm just saying mimicking nature. That makes sense. Yeah, because I guess where depending on where you live, the lumens and par might be different depending on cloud coverage and things like that. So that's, that's definitely one thing with indoor growing and outdoor growing that's so completely different. It's just Mother Nature really has growers at her fingertips with outdoor growing. Um, and that kind of leads me into the next question. I Surprisingly, I was not setting that up. Um, <laughs> just just lined it up really well. It's an innate um, talent. So, <laughs> I, I guess. So Kyle, um, everybody, I think in growing at some point experiences some sort of Deficiency, toxicity, pest control, or uh, just issue with their plant. Um, some of the most familiar and probably popular issues are calcium and magnesium deficiency, phosphorus deficiency. Cocoa growers get a lot of potassium toxicity because it leaches to, um, potassium a lot. But I kind of want to get your input on your overall preventative measures for your garden when it comes to pests. Uh, how you handle your toxicities or deficiencies, whether it's you just take time to flush your plant for a few days, remedy the uh, deficiency or toxicity, and then re-amend. And then just some tips for those uh, different grow mediums out there, because, you know, hydroponics is definitely different than soilless, and soilless is totally different than soil. So if you have any tips for those growers, feel free to put it out there. Okay, I may I may have to refer to all the different... Um... Uh, I gave you like four parts. You did. So, so no um, calcium deficiency. You can start with that. Um, first, I want to talk about uh, pests. <laughs> so, if you're growing commercially, if you're growing on any kind of a large scale, um, you have to have an IPM program. You'll never get away without it. If you're growing in a tent in a really small place you really have the ability to keep it uber clean and not introduce anything into your water or into your soil. Um, 
to whereas you don't need to be running something all the time, but you do need to be diligent so that you can react to something if it does show up. Um, yeah. I'm a big fan of biological controls. Um, okay. I'll use ladybugs, nematodes. I've heard very good things about nematodes. A lot of our uh, forum uh, cultivators use them for their uh, aphids and mite problems, or uh, soil, uh, the gnats and the mite problems, I think I've heard. All kinds of soil, anything that uh, breeds in the soil. The, the problem nematodes get a bad rap is because um, you have to be really uh, diligent in keeping them fresh. They have to be uh, refrigerated and they have a very, a pretty small shelf life. And so uh, sometimes, you know, if you go to someplace that doesn't sell a lot of them, you may go in to buy them and they could be old. Um, so check the uh, expiration date on them um, and plan to get them home before they get too warm. Okay. Um, but nematodes work really well on virtually anything that's born in the soil and they're, uh, they're economical. They're not expensive. Um, awesome. that's good to hear. And, uh, ladybugs as well. I don't mind having some ladybugs in my garden. You know, if, if I see a thrip or a spider mite, you know, yeah. before anything else happens, I would spray something really quick and then follow up with put, putting ladybugs in my tent. Now, like I said, ladybugs are not going to work in a room size atmosphere or anything like that. So it all depends. You have to have different strategies. Another thing is um, you have to have more than, if you do have pests, you have to have more than one mode of attack. You have to have, okay. you have to have at least one attack for the, the phylosphere and one attack for the root zone. And then you got to change it up. Yeah. People don't think about that. So, um, and so the main thing is don't get them. Okay. <laughs> you know, yes. Yes. It really Stay is clean. the main thing. If you have a when small you say change it up, sorry, Kyle, do you mean like, don't let the plant get you or don't let them become used to the, the method of attack? Change right. It up. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Kind of like so what kind of sprays do you like using? Cause uh, you know, very popular one is neem oil, but I've heard, you know, you don't want to use neem oil necessarily in flour when you have full on budge site. You don't want to use right. anything on, in flouring. You don't want to, there's nothing that you want to spray on your flowers other than right. water. Uh -huh. And that's, that's why I brought see, up. That's pretty much what I've, I've been told by many growers. And that's why I brought up the, the pH water for powdery mildew. It's a little known yes. fact that water pH above nine is enough to kill uh, powdery mildew spores on contact. contact. The, it's too alkaline, right? Or yes. Is, is that, yeah, yeah, that's exactly. right. Exactly. And, and it causes no effect on the plant. It's just water. Um, that's a really good handy tool for those listeners who deal with powdery mildew. I know a lot of people kind yep. of early on in those humid states really get it quite often. You can spray it as much as you want. Of course, you got to worry about uh, uh, causing botrytis if you can't get that water to evaporate, you know. Um, but it's really good for spot. You know, if, if you've got a little tent and somewhere in the back corner there, you didn't have enough circulation and you see that first mold spore on there. Get yourself a little sprayer with some pH water between nine and 10 and just go back there and hit up all those leaves top and bottom. And That's awesome. That's a great tip. Yeah, because I, I know most of the time anyone 
would come to me. A lot of the old school growers that I used to talk to used to use sulfur burners. They would sure. uh, put sulfur burners and uh, it's, it didn't always do it. You had to make sure the sulfur actually I got still onto see, the plant. I still see sulfur burners in a lot of places I visit. It's a big use. Yeah, it's a big use. But like you yeah. said, you have to, you have to uh, make sure that it penetrates everywhere. So you have to have a little bit of airflow. Not, yeah. but generally you don't want airflow because that creates humidity. Oh, that's another tip is that um, lights on, fans on. Lights off, fans off. Mm. If you can time cycle your fans to be off at night, you'll have less humidity because fans create humidity. No, that's actually a very good tip. So um, one of the systems I was looking into, uh, you know, I, I kind of have all my tents tied together and they're all on different light cycles. But when I was had them all kind of on the same light cycle, I was testing the whole fans off, lights off. And I did notice my humidity would go down drastically when the fans were off. Absolutely. And I, I actually had to turn them back on because I'm in such a dry environment that they went down too much. So I was like, OK, fans back on now. <laughs> yeah, I use that. I've always use that philosophy in my rooms in, you know, 100 light rooms and 50 light rooms and 10 light rooms and 20 light rooms, fans off at night. Let the other appliances do their job. The AC or the dehumidifier, there's always some air circulation in there. It's never dead stop, but actually it's just, it's, you know, less chance. If you do have a little bit of botrytis or PM, you're not going to spread it because it spreads on the air. Yeah, you're going to keep it kind of localized. And and for those who are listening who are novice growers and keep hearing him say botrytis, uh, botrytis is actually the correct name of bud rot. It is the fungal form and uh, the actual spore name of bud rot. Oh, so that's, that's you what get I've that got. On your, <laughs> what, what's up? I said, that's what I've got. The doctor told me I had that. No, that's crotch rot. <laughs> crotch rot. Hey, I wanted, I wanted to add the circulation um, philosophy. So philosophy, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, it applies like that on indoor facilities for sure, outdoor as well. If you're pulling tarp, if you're pulling tarp inside a greenhouse, which I've done before, you definitely want air circulation. There's no doubt about it because the humidity levels are intense. And I, yeah, because you don't have automation. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. And, but see, uh, when you've got a, an and dehumidifier with a digital setting on it, and you set it for day and night, yeah. you let the appliances do that. Exactly. Job. This is kind of like, you know, um, trying to cover it for home growers, you know, on a budget as well. It's like, because most, which is 90% of us, right? You know? Yeah, absolutely. I expand a little bit more than necessary always because I think it helps people realize that that's why when you like just go to search something on the internet, you see varying answers. It's because the person answering it isn't breaking it down. Well, is it in a greenhouse? Are we talking about separate day, nighttime temperatures? Are we talking about a small time tent? Right, right. Are we talking about a commercial setting? Yeah. You can't always break it down, so you just give a general there answer. There are a lot of generalizations that can apply to growing as a whole, but you do have to separate those uh, th those divisions because it might not necessarily apply like the example I just gave in a greenhouse when you're pulling tarp and the humidity levels are, you know, uh, Causing that petritus. <laughs> Tarp puller. <laughs> no, there's, it's so many variables and it is, you know, it's all based on your location. It's all based on, you know, how much light you're getting, what tent size. It's so many variables that really the best we could ever do as uh, educators or anyone putting out anything into the cannabis community is just give those fundamental knowledge and breakdown so the cultivators can take that and apply it to what they're growing and, uh, and use that knowledge. And, and that really is um, key to 
what this podcast is about and that leads us into our next one did you look at that (laughs) so uh i just want to say thank you both for coming on to the show and i'm sure our listeners are seriously excited because you have given us some serious information Um, he's talking to you kyle not to me (laughs) (laughs) now we have talked about all the stages of the plant's life and we pretty much discussed tips and tricks along the entire way so now we're going to kind of break into discussing homegrown diaries like we talked about earlier. You guys can head over to www.homegrowndiary.com and sign up for free where you can upload and track your homegrown diaries. This is where you can input all your information at a weekly basis and monitor your garden week by week. On top of that, your garden will be shared with our community for other cultivators to learn from what you do. With have We have options for training techniques, light height, RH of your environment, and many more factors for information to input. We have a seriously massive database of lights, grow tents, and nutrients, so whatever you're using using should be within our database. Join an ever-growing community of dozens of growers who are sharing their grows, which leads us into this amazing segment we're going to break in with Kyle and Nate to break down some of our cultivators' diaries. Now, obviously, those listening can't see what we're doing, so if you'd like to see any of these diaries we're discussing, again, all you have to do is head to www.homegrowndiary.com and search the names of the diaries we mention. Now, Kyle and Nate, you guys should have the Homegrown Diaries in front of you, and we'll be reviewing the first one being Random underscore Nirvana's GSC Auto. For those listening, this is what you'll search in the search bar. The autoflower is grown by one of our fellow community members from our forum, who's very active and has been recently slaying the autoflower grows. Now, Kyle and Nate aren't super familiar with autoflowers, but I thought it would be great to have him break down and give some tips and tricks or his thoughts on random Nirvana's grow. So go ahead, Kyle, Nate, break down the grow from week one to week nine on what your thoughts are and how they're doing. I'm not super familiar with regs, firms, autos. Uh. <laughs> He's not super familiar with anything. <laughs> All right, week one. Uh, so we are on Random Nirvana's page here. Very pretty looking plants, mate. Um, Cushman, what's he got here? Oh, I love this, mate. Yeah, this is a good shout out for, for the Grow Diaries in general, for Homegrown Grow Diaries. Well, I got to tell you, this interface is freaking amazing. And, uh, Isn't it? so cool. Yeah, you know, I mean, I've even got it right here on my phone. And a lot of times these things don't work nearly as well on a phone as they do, you know, on the, on the laptop, but I've got it all right here. And, um, he's got his, his gear, you know, the journey begins and then he's got his seeds sprouted, uh, for the first time. And then he's got pictures of the seeds coming up in the pea right. pots and it's got then, he's, light. then he's got it set up in the, in his two by two tent. And it all comes up really nice and easy on the phone and I can zoom in on the photos. And uh, yeah, so he's really, he's trying to create a nice little environment, a little bit of a human environment. He's got them encased in a little- uh, It's a good blueprint, dude. Like this is the, great. The, yeah, the propagation, the propagation tray he has, I think is wonderful. You know, for those growers listening on the podcast, if you are struggling with keeping your uh, seedlings a little more humid, they make great uh, little houses called propagation domes and trays for uh, starting your seedlings. And on this uh, grow diary, we actually have yeah, what we're looking at. Right yeah, he's, uh, he's using them. You know, cool. one thing you want to be wary of when you're uh, sprouting seeds is 
you don't, you know, the, the tendency is to always want to do something. You want to do something for your babies. They're your babies, yeah. right? And unfortunately, um, these babies don't really need very much done to them. And just the simple act of like, you know, squirting water on them seems pretty harmless, right? You know, but the problem with that is, is that you're constantly re-moistening the top of the soil. And that little bit is going to keep you from rewatering. And so creating some kind of a humosphere or a humidome as opposed to spraying is much more preferred early on. Save any spraying until you actually have some foliage, some foliage, you know, some yeah. surface area to cover. And then even when you do that, you want to be wary that you're not watering the plant when you're foliar feeding. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That's actually, I've, I've totally so there are two separate practices. Plant. Yeah, I totally overwatered a plant by spraying some foliar feed on them before. Cool. So, yeah. So, uh, first week, he's looking good, you know? He's, he's growing in a four, is it a, two, a four by four. It looks like a, let's see, room type is indoor. I don't think he specified it, but it looks like a four by four, if I had to guess. And he's growing four plants. Yeah, I'm going to go with four by four. Yeah. No, four. it's it said two by two. Oh, okay. It's is a it? two by oh. two. It is a two by two. So, it's yep. a, two it's by a two tiny by space. Cool. And, um, by the time he gets to the second week of germination, he's get, getting going on his second set of leaves. And if I look at those, still bigger than my apartment. Uh, they're looking, <laughs> they're looking perfect. There's no mal malformations anywhere on the leaves anywhere. And it looks like his uh, temperature is actually in a good range. He's sitting at that 71 degree with the 54% humidity. Not, not sure. Week two. Week two. We can zoom in on here as well. That we can check his uh, his his readings, his temperature. Yeah, everything is really, really, really nice. It's, it's pretty perfect. And so let's move on to week three. Oh, week three is very nice. Look at those little girls growing. Wow. That's one, that's one thing about autoflowers that I do love is every week is such a drastic difference versus photo periods because they do take a little longer to grow, but it is such a cool thing seeing the autos just take off. Well, you know, it's just the, it's just the seeds, seed stock grows so much faster than, than yeah. clones and little weak snippets of another plant. Yeah, whether, whether they're autos or not. Seeds, anybody who grows cannabis for a long time, if you haven't grown from seed, you're really missing something. Um, yeah, I agree. The expression of the plant, um, the speed at which it grows, the vigor um, from a seed is undeniable. And I got to tell you also, at some point in your life, you have to experience the full cycle and you have to grow some regular seeds and, and watch the male develop and the female develop. And whether you plan on breeding or not, um, you just, you get a diversity that, you know, is something that you need to experience at some point in your life. Just, you, you have to grow seed to harvest. I, I grew for eight years seed to harvest. I was teaching people how to make clones for years before I ever even made a clone myself. It was, oh, wow. I was a teacher and an educator. So it was something I had to teach and I knew how to do, but I was growing seed to harvest seed. Well, I was, I was breeding and I was making seeds 
and I was improving my generation. You were like a little moonlighter. You're teaching people one practice, but you're going home and doing it for exactly. doing it the real way, the, the proper I way. Got your side business going. You're I like, was. no, I'm actually doing this. Side business. <laughs> All right, so we're on week nine. So we're looking at the week nine of flower, um, and it looks like he is coming along great. So autoflowers are kind of these goofy plants that don't necessarily grow like photos. So they get this kind of wild, bunched up small scraggly looking thick bud so what we actually see here is he didn't top his plant and he did minimal training so he did a lot of low stress training and he uh allowed those branches just to kind of come out in a cross well the first so, the first i ever heard of topping uh autos was from you to be honest with you but the main thing the main thing is and the most important thing for all you people is he grew healthy plants and healthy plants are going to be the most potent plants and healthy plants are generally the largest plants. So don't focus on anything except for how to grow healthy plants. And, and when you get to the end, if your plants are not all necrotic and you know, wondering why you fed them so much, then you'll be very happy. Absolutely. And so random Nirvana, that is Kyle Cushman telling you that you have happy plants and you are doing a great job. So keep it up. And to everyone in the community growing plants, if your plants don't even look remotely close, we all started somewhere. Believe me, we all started with some scraggly plant and worked our way up to growing monsters. So you have to start somewhere. Just love your plants. And in this next one, we are actually going to be diving into my very own first ever photo period harvest. This was the first Jack Herrera I've ever grown. Let me pull it up here. Sorry, buddy. I got it here on the phone already. Ooh, Mr. Showoff. I can't believe random Nirvana, all he had to do was grow some healthy plants for nine weeks and he gets a compliment from Cushman. Here's me three, three years later, <laughs> still waiting for one. <laughs> settle down, settle down. <laughs> all right. I'm pulling it up, I'm pulling it up. Kyle's already got his up, but you, you can go ahead. So this is a plant for those listening and Kyle, I, I explained to him earlier, but for those listening, this was a plant that was my first photo period. I was in a tent that actually ended up having light leaks when I sw swapped it to flowers. So this was a hermaphrodite experience that I decided not to give up on. I pushed forward and she dropped, I would say about 90% of her pollen sacs. She only seeded out one branch and I had a plant in the room with her that remained unseeded. So I'd like to say I did quite a good job for trying to turn around hermaphrodite, but Kyle, when did, I would love when did for you, you to- When did you first notice the hermaphrodite? It was like a week after I swapped to flower. I think uh, it might be week uh, 10, I actually noticed. Yeah, week 10, day 65. Uh, I found, I see those little uh, pollen sacs forming right there and I was a little upset. <laughs> wow. Oh yeah, I see, dude, there they are. And so you just cleaned them off and how often did you find them? So uh, what I actually did, so if we go over to uh, week 11, you can see I Swayze trained her. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? Kyle's just uh, I, complimenting the interface again, uh, how easy it is to navigate around. On uh, a phone? I mean, I know it works on the computer, but no, the fact that really it works nice just as well on my phone. It works on a computer in a podcast setting if you've got super long arms as well, just to let you know. <laughs> <laughs> So you, you Swayze'd her uh, at week 11, you're saying? Yep. On day 76, we went ahead and I went ahead and Swayze trained her. And what I did when I did that is I took off all the pollen sacs that I found. And at that point, um, because I- I got to say, to I don't like that Swayze training. Is yeah, it because of, is it of the word? It? No, it, 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 the plant looks embarrassed. 
Yeah, naked. It does. It looks sad. It looks so sad after. But if you go to the next week, she bounces right <laughs> the back. The plant looks embarrassed. That's a very like, good description. It, it looks like it looks like a pet you took to like the. Uh, the, the haircut, you got some stupid yes. haircut. And now the, yes. the, the, the dog haircut used to be confident. Now it's like, yeah. why'd you do this to me? It looks like me anytime, anytime I wear shorts. Anytime Is I wear shorts. Is this my punishment? <laughs> so let me see. So you know what? She did come back pretty nice. She did yeah. come back pretty nice, but um, and let's, let's follow along. Wow, man, this is impressive stuff. So this was hermaphrodited. Thank you. So, uh, so I actually fimmed her too. She was fimmed. So she produced seven new tops from her spot, which was really cool to see. Man, that was really solid. That really came in solid. Thank you. I am, uh, I am surprised how well it did after being completely stripped like that. I like your little, right? um, looks like you've got a loop. Have you got like some sort of microscope? Yeah, it's a jeweler's loop. So I use a seven times magnification jeweler's loop. So uh, ah, I take the cool. pictures of the trichomes and check them and everything. I'm very suspicious though about week one. You weren't there on week one. So I don't know yeah. what to think. Where were you? <laughs> I, I, I have no idea. I just disappeared. <laughs> uh, no, I, I totally forgot to take pictures of her on week one. And I felt so dumb because I was taking pictures of every other grow up until that point, And then I totally missed the germination pick. So I was like, darn it. When did you stop looking for uh, male flowers? Uh, so I think it was week 14. I, they, they really, they were literally all covered on my floor dead. Like they were just dropping off her. I would touch a branch and they would fall right off. And I, I kind of put two and two together that maybe I had caught it early enough to where she wasn't dumping those hormones into those pollen sacs. And um, when I went to harvest her, I was pretty accurate. There was one, there might've been two branches, but there was one branch that was very heavy with seeds. And I think really? that was a late nanner that might've oh, okay. just, you know, one of the early ones that might've just popped and had that. Uh, pollen on those pistols and I, I didn't get to it but I have to say the other plant I had in there didn't get seeded out so I was really happy about so she's that. uh cured and trimmed and cured now and and smokable oh she smoked she I, smoked <laughs> <laughs> no, no seeds Good she job. was amazing she was uh and it's funny because I accidentally put indica on the little slider and I meant to put sativa but she was a very nice sativa uh very piney exhales with a very almost apple flavored inhale. It was really, really quite a sweet inhale. It was really nice. Mm. Derek, you need to grow some CBD for me, buddy. Yes, absolutely. I have some CBD strains, actually. I grew a CBD uh, uh, CBD White Widow, and then I'm uh, currently, I've got a CBD seed that's supposedly 25% cannabinoid. So we'll see how that works. All right. All right, all right, all right. You're looking excellent, man. And uh, I highly encourage everybody to check out the Grow Diaries. They are super cool. Yeah, this is Thank a this so is a great much. thing, man. A lot of work's gone into that, I can tell. Um, Q Dose Homegrown Cannabis Co. Uh, Derek. So guys, I have to say thank you so much for coming on. I know I've said it a couple times, but I know my day has been made getting to hang out and chat with you both. I'm sure uh, you've probably made the day of many cultivators listening and they're going to be very excited with this episode. It's been one that's been requested since I started this. Kyle, you are probably the most requested person I've had for being on this show. So thank you so much for coming on. Uh, for everyone listening, if you haven't seen Growing Live on Homegrown Cannabis Co's Facebook page, you should definitely tune into it. It's a monthly event where Nate Hammer and Kyle Cushman go live to answer all of your cultivation questions. It's insanely fun and they have a great time.
Be sure to follow them on Instagram at NateHammer420 and at KyleCushman420 for daily updates on what they're working on or just what they're doing. And be sure to check out the Cultivars with Characters section at www.homegrowncannabisco.com if you would like to grow one of Kyle Cushman's amazing strains. I have a Sweet Island and Skywalker OG going from his strains and they are seriously insane. Remember, once you've snagged your Kyle Cushman strains, be sure to upload your diary on www.homegrowndiary.com, where it's free to sign up and record your grow. One of my favorite things about the Homegrown Diaries is that at the end, when you input your harvest dry weight and wet weight with your light information and space, they have a calculator to calculate how many grams per watt you yielded. How amazing is that? If you'd like to just get involved with our community, remember we do have a forum of over 3,000 cultivators who are happy to chat with you. Head over to www.homegrowncannabisco.community and sign up for free as well. Now, we do host many giveaways and growing live on our Facebook page, so be sure to check that out on Facebook, Homegrown Cannabis Co., and give it a like. We just did a giveaway with 15 strawberry cough seeds, and that is pretty amazing if you ask me. Follow at Homegrown World on Instagram to tune into the behind the scenes stuff we post, and also follow along on whichever streaming platform you're listening from so you never miss out. I'm your host, Chronic, from the Cannabis Chronicles on Instagram and YouTube, and I'll be back every single week to teach you amazing cultivators all about cannabis. Now I normally do the outro, much love, happy growing in peace, but I think it'd be great if Kyle and Nate took over the outro. So guys, without further ado, hit them with the much love, the happy growing, and the peace. Peace, love, and rock and roll.